2: In the early 1990s, Daley Dunham was a junior at UC Berkeley. When he heard about a sperm donor program from his pre-med roommate, they said he was a good candidate, so he figured he should do it. It's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, if you can, you should. He remembers getting about $40 for each time he donated He did it maybe twice a week for a few months. The money came in handy, so that was part of it. But he was a philosophy major. He'd eventually go into public policy working for city government. He thinks like this a lot. What's the right thing to do? He says a good analogy is giving blood.
3: My blood type is O-negative. It's about 10 percent of the population. It's universal donor. So whenever there's a blood mobile around or whenever there's an opportunity in front of me, I'll always take it. And it's something that's Not that big a deal for me, Um, sort of a momentary thing, but is profoundly important to someone somewhere else, life-changing even.
2: Well, yeah, it's kind of a good analogy, except when you donate blood, you don't get a tidal wave of children crashing into your life about two decades later. This is The Leap. I'm Judy Campbell, and this story is about Daley Dunham and his new, extensive, extended family. Daly said he didn't think much about the donation over the years. I did tell my
3: wife when I met her, we started dating I'm like, hey, you should know there's this thing that might happen in like, you know, five or six years. How would you feel about that? She was like, oh, well, that would be great. I come from a big, you know, extended family. We would just welcome them as family.
2: Then about five years ago, after Daly and his wife had two children and another on the way, He got a letter from the sperm bank. It was like, I thought this was still years away, but here it is. It said one of the donor kids wanted to get in touch. Daly had originally checked anonymous on his forms. Did he want to change his mind? He talked it over with his wife.
3: Her protective instincts were like, this person could be crazy and a stalker, and you really don't know what you're getting into.
2: So he set up an email address, without his name, just in case. But pretty quickly, Daly and his wife decided they wanted to do it. They both agreed, let's get in touch. How could you deny a kid who wants to know where they came from? And that's how he met Mackenzie. Mackenzie wrote and said her mother told her when she was 13 that she was conceived with a sperm donor.
3: So by the time she reached out at 18, she had had five years to wonder, you know, who is this guy and... Is he going to be a jerk? Or, I don't know, imagine what I was going to be like.
2: So when they set up a time to meet by video, it was intimidating figuring out how he should talk to her. He was worried he'd come across as too familiar.
3: And her response would be like, who the hell does this guy think
2: he is? He's not my parent. But he was equally worried about being too distant.
3: Why is he trying to separate himself from me? Is he, like, ashamed or, you know, not interested or whatever? And he
2: remembers wondering,
3: would he feel some kind of zing when he saw her? Would I feel this automatic connection? Um, And I didn't. It wasn't a sort of visceral thing that came from just having a live conversation. But I didn't have it
2: then. But he did have it later. When they first met in person, he took her to The Mint, a karaoke bar in San Francisco. Daly sang a cappella in college. He's really into singing. He can't completely remember what song he did.
3: I was probably feeling a little conservative because so I sang something that I know really well. It was probably your song from Moulin Rouge. And you can tell everybody That this is your song I think that's what I, I, think that's what I sang. It may be quite done But I just looked over at her and she had tears running down her face. And I was like... <laughs>
0: That's really sweet.
2: That's an intense song for the first meeting. Daly says he didn't really think about it. He was just picking something in his range. It's no wonder the girl, who's been imagining her biological father for years, broke out in tears. But it turns out there was more to it, because she got up to sing, and she was phenomenal.
3: You know, she had mentioned that nobody in her family could carry a tune in a bucket. And so she got up there and sang, and listening to her, it was just... Just like such a whammy, you know, presuming that given her her family that it came from me, it was this connection that was just like beyond space and time. And it but it was real.
2: It was was powerful stuff. And he's choking up now, not just because he's remembering that moment, but also because he doesn't want to lose that feeling of connection.
3: But I've done this a number of times now. Right. And I don't ever want it to get like feel like old hat.
2: a number of times, daily means a whole lot of times. 17 donor kids are now in contact. It's still the first time for them. The first time meeting them, and also another. The first time they hear each other sing. That transcendent karaoke experience with Mackenzie, that kind of thing happened with a bunch of them. Because it turns out, the majority of these kids are singers.
1: When the night has come, and then dark.
2: I'm in and Daly's I'm living room in Arinda, California, with two of the donor kids, like Sarah and Kristen. See. They're tired. They were out late singing karaoke with <laughs> no,
4: Daly last night. But
2: I've made them afraid. sing for me.
0: No, I won't
4: be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. So
2: this is Daly, one cozy scene. Darling,
0: stand. Sarah is from
2: Berkeley, close by, and Kristen lives in San Diego and is up visiting Daly's family for the weekend. Cassidy, Daly's ten-year-old daughter, clambers up on Sarah's lap.
4: I adore Daly's like personal like little children. They're the loves of my life. The personal
2: little children are Daly's with his wife. They're Sarah's half siblings. Sarah also has a full blood older sister, Molly. Daly's her donor dad, too. A few years after Molly was born, her parents went back to the sperm bank, and by request, Daly briefly came out of donation retirement. Sarah was the result. She's the youngest of these donor conceived kids. She's 18. Most are between 22 and 24. It's all very complicated, but for Sarah, it's just meant more family, and it's great. She spent a lot of time here since she met Daly a few years ago. She babysits, and her sister and her two moms have all become close with Daly's family. They had Thanksgiving together this year.
4: My parents and Daly are, like, good friends, and I really feel like I'm interacting with them as a unit rather than two separate families that I'm trying to balance.
2: But every donor kid has a different relationship with Daly, their families, and how they integrate this new knowledge of their biological dad and siblings into their lives. It's all so new and confusing. Sarah and Kristen talk about this with Daly.
4: Our whole situation is just really complex in that it's no one's ever really had to deal with this type of Relationship. There's no language to really describe it. Someone, yeah. There's no etiquette. There's no. No one has this. Yeah. There's no manual. No one's had this experience that I can be like, hey, how did you deal with this? We all just kind of had to figure it out for ourselves, Mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. (laughs) We're pioneering something. We are sort of like
3: on the first wave, um, societally, this
1: kind of. I think on that note too, it's been an interesting thing trying to figure out not only how to explain it but how to refer to everybody you know yes. so like everybody refers to daily as something completely different because yep. what do you what do you call him you know like sperm donor and like guy who created me is like all too much of a mouthful to explain you know like i introduced you to my friend and i said i'm his spawn or something like i <laughs> but most of the time i refer to him as my donor dad because You know, I wouldn't call him my dad because I also have my dad that raised me.
2: Who she's really close to. It's a touchy subject. Christine grew up as an only child with her mom and dad. Unlike Sarah, she says she could never have Thanksgiving with their family, or even just the other donor siblings, because her parents could be hurt.
1: I don't ever want them to think that I'm choosing this family over the other, and that's just kind of a tough place to be in, because you want to exist in both places, and in a way I kind of constantly am, but it does get hard to do sometimes.
2: Because this world, this community she now has, her 19 new siblings, that's including Daly's young kids, Kristen's dad doesn't want to hear about it.
1: And it does kind of suck, because in a way this has become such a such a big part of my life and such a part of my life that's larger than I could have ever imagined,
2: Initially, Kristen got into this whole thing just to find a sibling. She had no interest in finding her biological dad. Her mother saw something about the donor sibling registry on Oprah. That's where kids can enter the donor's number from the sperm bank and find other matches. She signed up when she was 12 and found a half-sister. Over the next five years, more siblings found them. Then one got in touch with Daly. And now, even though there are so many of them, they are so connected. They're in touch, online, every day, constantly.
4: We have a group chat with daily and all the siblings. We have a group chat with just all the siblings. Then we have like a fitness group chat, a politics group I'm chat, the okay. and then we have like Snapchat group chat. There's it's a vegan, vegan, group. Yeah. There's a vegan uh, group. There's yeah. one for called for, Thronies, one for those of us who are girls. Game of Thrones fans. There's a yeah. uh, paleo, people who eat paleo. Yeah.
3: Hey, this is just this morning. This one just starts off with Sterling, who lives in Sacramento, saying, "Hey, life goals twenty eighteen. Get bucked off of a
2: horse check." And then there's like all these other commentary like, "Are you ok? What the hell happened?
5: And these are all and that's the-
2: not even getting into the individual conversations.
5: I'd never go longer than, like, maybe two weeks without having like a one-on one conversation with every single one.
2: This is Brooklyn. She lives in Phoenix. She's a teacher. And, by the way, she's a singer, too. She's starring as Belle in a big production of Beauty and the Beast now. Brooklyn was 21 when she found out she had a donor.
5: I was shocked, but only for a minute, and then the more I thought about it, it kind of started to, like, make a lot of sense.
2: Because she and her brother and sister, who are twins and also from Daly's sperm, didn't feel like they had much in common with the family they grew up with. Brooklyn and her siblings were some of the most recent to come into the group, but they'd play a pivotal role because their grandmother has a condo in Mexico. And what would you do if you found out you had an enormous new extended family? Probably take a vacation together in Mexico. I watched a video that Melissa, one of the kids, took from the trip. It was last summer. At that point, there were 12 of the donor-conceived siblings in contact. Ten sisters, two brothers. And they're all meeting up in the Arizona airport so they can drive to Mexico together. It was the first time some of them had met each other and daily. In the video, you see the happy mass of them. Hugging, lunging toward each other, a baggage claim, cradling each other's faces in their hands, huge Bursting smiles. I look for similarities, but I'm most taken by the bubbliness, this gleeful optimism that Daly says is a trait that so many of them share. Brooklyn says it was an emotional roller coaster meeting everyone at the airport.
5: Before someone got there, I would get really nervous again, and the nerves would start to kick in, and I'd be like, okay, this is such a big moment. Like, I would kind of pump myself up, but, like, also, it was like, don't be weird. <laughs> like, don't be awkward. Just, it's going to be good. And so, and then as soon as they would get there, and I would start talking to them, and, like, it just felt so normal again.
2: And then the
5: last two arrive,
2: Daly, his wife, and their three kids.
5: We just, like, swarmed them, <laughs> and, like, it was just this big thing, like, in baggage claim at Sky Harbor. Everyone's just, like, hugging each other and crying, and, like, that moment sticks out to me so much, because it was so cool just, like, realizing how many of us there were, because that was the first time we were all, like, all there in the same place. They crammed into a bus for the four-hour drive to Mexico. Daily drove.
3: It had a sort of Chevy Chase vacation kind of feel to it, right? Was he sure he was up for this?
2: I never had any hesitation
3: about it, honestly. It just seemed like it was going to be a blast the whole time. And it was. are going
1: down, down And sugar, we're going down
2: There were sing-alongs, a swim-up bar. They got to look at each other all together and compare. A bunch of them have the same eyes, a beautiful greenish color with a yellow starburst in the middle. It was a family reunion, and they all embraced it. Daly's wife, their two young boys, and their daughter, Cassidy, who celebrated her 10th birthday in Mexico with 10 new sisters. I talked to one of the donor-conceived kids, Melissa, by phone from Columbia, South America, where she's teaching English.
5: Everything felt so normal and so great. And then when you, like, step back and really think about, like, the immensity of the situation that like daily
2: made the decision to donate sperm like all these years ago and like now here we are like him and his wife and his kids and like all of us. It just was like so amazing. After Mexico, Melissa posted the video of the trip. She called it meeting my biological family for the first time. Friend of a friend on Facebook messaged me and was basically like I am just in absolute hysterics. This was so beautiful and
5: amazing. And uh, we used a donor with my daughter, and we weren't planning on telling her. And because of your video, I am planning on telling her, like I changed my mind.
2: These siblings in Daly believe strongly in this. They want parents who use donor sperm or eggs to be open about it. And people who study this agree that kids do better the earlier they know, and often resent parents who don't tell. A medical anthropologist who studies this says transparency is common in adoption now, but maybe because of stigma around infertility, couples who use donor eggs and sperm are less likely to tell their kids about it. But it's getting more common. Part of the reason may be that this used to be a secret you could keep, but now with $100 mail-order genetic tests from places like 23andMe, Secrets can blow up pretty fast. That happened with some of the kids who found Daly and the siblings recently.
3: There was this wave of four that came, and it corresponded with some Thanksgiving day sale the twenty three and me had that was half off. <laughs> so a bunch of them were like, "Oh, yeah, sure. I always wanted to do that, and then um, checked their ancestral history and then got the con- you know, got the connection like, hey, by the way, you're related to these people."
2: and also, by the way, the man you thought was your biological father isn't. It was a jolt.
3: The kids who were, were basically outed by 23 and Me, you know, their parents opted not to tell them, have had a harder time grappling with their parents' decision.
2: These new kids marked a turning point for this whole group. Back when there were about 12 known donor siblings, that's the group that went to Mexico, Daly says there was a real ease among them. This
3: honeymoon period where... Everyone got along talking about politics and values. Everyone was on the same page. They were all lefties, pretty much.
2: They'd even wondered if political leanings were genetic. But as Moore joined, this little group started to look a lot more like the rest of the country, Trump supporters and all. And soon, these happy chat groups became a battleground.
3: So the the, the honeymoon
2: period of, like, perfect harmony uh, was no more. We're gonna take a quick break. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
3: I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now.
2: KQED's California Report Magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi there, I'm Randa Deveta from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained.
2: Several conservatives joined the group, but there was one in particular who seemed to want to stick it to the liberals. And Kristen, from San Diego, who we met before, says she's from a conservative family. She was happy to have a debate, but it got really ugly and felt personal, especially his views on women.
1: Just yeah. women in society and how women should be treated and, and to come into a community, a family, you know, somewhere within that spectrum, uh, full of women and kind of start saying these really inflammatory things.
2: And this created a huge split. Some of us
1: decided this person essentially believes me to be less of a human being based on the things that he's expressed. And because
4: of that, I don't want them in my life.
2: Kristen and Sarah both wanted to cut off contact.
4: It literally split us in half, you know, in terms of the way that we felt about this person. Half Half of us were on this train of, I want to try and stay in contact with him. He's still my brother. Which to me, that's not still my brother. That's not still my brother.
2: And this debate became about something so much bigger than whether what this new donor sibling was saying was appropriate or not. The question became, are we a family or are we a community? Is this about genetics or the fact that we feel connected to each other? Does our shared blood bind us to each other so much that we feel obliged to accept each other, no matter what? This whole thing feels like some kind of political experiment, suddenly discovering that someone across the country with a completely different background is your brother. Could that connection possibly transcend these seemingly unbridgeable divides in our country? Override the angry discourse? Maybe. But in this particular case, with this kid, not right now. In the end, a lot of them agreed that the post from the new kid had become too venomous and disrespectful. It was causing stress and division. And Daly, who had been trying to help keep the peace, had enough too.
3: I had never anticipated the idea of like cutting someone off or disengaging from them in a deliberate way as a result of Um, how these kind of conversations were going, but that's what wound up happening. And prior to that, I think what made all of this work really is everyone, how respectful everyone of the fact that I live a busy life. I have three young kids that are, you know, not low maintenance children. (laughs) And, you know, my wife works a ton, and so I'm very busy. And everyone has been really conscious about keeping a relatively light footprint.
2: This whole process of absorbing 17 different lives into his own in one capacity or another has been shifting Daly's idea of what his role in these kids' lives is. Kristen says it's different for each of them.
1: I think that he's kind of a chameleon, and he does such a great job of kind of being able to feel out what what people kind of want from him. There are some of us that view him, like I said, he's kind of more of like my uncle. It's familial, but it's not quite paternal. There are other siblings who maybe don't have a father figure in their life or um, have had a tough time that do kind of view him in a little bit more of a paternal way. And I think that he's always been so impressively good at <laughs> of being completely respectful, but yet kind of filling that box of whatever we kind of need him to be.
2: There's one he talks to about video games. Kristen is majoring in economics, which is a strength of dailies. He's introduced her to people in that field. He's helped with resumes. He took his young kids to Arizona to see Brooklyn starring in a production of Legally Blonde. And Brooklyn turns to him for advice.
5: When I talked to him yesterday, I was like, so I think I'm gonna buy a house, but I don't know how. And he was like, okay, let me walk you through the process. So He definitely has become, like, the person that I talk to about that kind of stuff. And I know that those are, like, probably things that normal people would talk to their dads or their parents about. I try not to put too much pressure on it just because I know he has his own thing. And, like, I don't ever want to feel like I'm expecting too much from him because there are so many of us and... Um, I know that he tries to make an effort with everyone, which is so cool.
2: When kids came into the group that seemed in need of more of a father figure, Daly had to think hard about what he could and should offer.
3: It was another you know, inflection point in my constant reevaluation of what um, fatherhood is, the genetic component of that, the relationship component of that, the sort of family structure component of that, all of it, and what that Role means for me, like what I landed on was <laughs> the way that I could be present in that, in some version of that role for them, was to be a sort of emotional safe harbor. Because I don't know, I think one of the important roles of parents is just to be there so they're never in a position of feeling like they have nowhere they can go, that there's nowhere else to go.
2: For most of them, they don't need much. Daly says most of the kids have been more interested in their relationship with each other than with him. These are their best friends. He's been on the periphery. Connecting with him can be more loaded.
3: There are conflicted feelings about, you know, how do my parents feel about this? Does it make them feel bad? How do I feel about it?
2: Because there is so much difficult territory when rejiggering these ideas of family and biology. Some of these families have embraced this. Others haven't. It can feel like a bombshell. Daly doesn't think it needs to be that way, like with Kristen's dad, who doesn't want to talk about Daly or the siblings with her.
3: I've told Kristen before I would like to meet him just because I would like to meet the guy who raised her because I think she's so great. And the way that I would interact with him would be, um, it would never be occupying the space that I'm some sort of parent or father figure, biological or otherwise. It's that we have a ton in common because our daughters, our sisters, to each other.
2: Maybe that sounds optimistic, but in a way, optimism has charged this whole experience. They've been seeking more connection with the idea that expanding a family doesn't mean diluting it. There's a buoyancy to this group, cheering each other on in the chat groups, at the karaoke bar, traveling to go to each other's shows, graduations. It can seem like a community built on light, sweet gestures and here's one. When Melissa was in town for her birthday, Daly took her to see the sights. They went to the pier on San Francisco Bay and shot a video.
3: Hey right, so I'm here with Melissa. It's her birthday today. Hi We're guys. in San Francisco for the first time. No, I have a better idea. Hey guys, excuse me. I mean to pose, but um, ask a favor. If I hum a few bars or something, do you think you could pick it up? Oh my God. Maybe? Like,
2: that, like, oh my God, the of sound of being happily embarrassed by a dad, yeah, we'll or up. a donor dad, or an uncle figure, right. oh, wow. as he goes up to complete strangers
3: One, two, three, boo, wah,
2: boo, wah, who turn out to be old friends from his a cappella group, yeah, who he'd, he'd arranged to, to meet there.
3: I can tell by This could have happened without me. They all could have connected with one another. There's no reason I needed to be invited into this. They all have their own parents they grew up with. I just feel grateful that, that I can be a part of everybody's life.
2: So far, Daly's donor offspring include 12 girls and 5 boys. He's been told that boys often don't reach out till much later. So... Could be another wave of children on the horizon.
3: Happy to you.
2: That's the leap. Oh
3: my gosh, thank you guys
1: so much. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
2: The Leap is produced by me, Judy Campbell. Bianca Taylor is the assistant producer. Deb George is the editor. And the executive producer is Joanne Wallace. Nick Dupre and Matt Henderson composed the music for this piece. Rob Spate and Katie McMurrin are the engineers. Nathan Campbell wrote and performed the song you're about to hear. Special thanks to Dr. Diane Tober at UCSF and Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer, for their help with this piece. You can find all the episodes of The Leap on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Subscribe and consider leaving a review. It really helps. Thanks for listening.
1: Leaping lizards, is that really me? I wasn't born to fly, Lord, Lord.
3: I was born to creep. So circle
0: your buzzards over the yawning. And all I got against your life